Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Hey guys, welcome to the Dwell Digital Living Room. Here we are once again, Corona Quarantine Week 200 million or whatever it is. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been thinking a lot, a lot, a lot lately uh, about what we can trust. And I have a lot of questions. Uh, most of them come from a Netflix television program called uh, The Tiger King. If you have not watched it, I'm not sure that I would even recommend it. It is just chaos and madness, and you really question a lot of things about humanity. The one thing primarily that it made me question is, here you have this local zookeeper that is secretly a maniac, and I won't even spoil all the millions of things that he's into that I can't even wrap my mind around. And what's odd about that is I thought to myself, you know what? I have been to one of those weird little, like, local zoos, right? Like, I've been to one of those little, like, you know, they call it a zoo, but it's really like three bears and a sad-looking goat, like one of those kind of things. And you drive up and you think, wow, this is just a nice guy who happens to like animals. You never think that maybe he's having someone else assassinated and maybe he's into, you know, multiple marriages and all kinds of legal battles and also is a country music singer and has piercings that I don't even want to know about and all kinds of just crazy, crazy stuff like that. These are not things that I expect from my humble local zookeeper, right? And it makes me question everything at this point. You watch Tiger King, you're sitting there, it's the middle of quarantine, you haven't talked to a real human being face-to-face in like three days, and so your entire reality becomes this crazy show, and I don't know what to trust anymore. I'm at a complete loss. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I don't really know what to do. And it's not just Tiger King either. I've been asking this question about a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we used to trust now that we're calling into question. And that's not just uh, during this quarantine time. This is actually like something that is, I think, specific to our current culture and society. Now, uh, we have a lot of ideas about people in the past that they were like historically, uh, that they were like dumb people or something that like, you know, if somebody came along like an authoritarian came along and said like, hey, you should follow me. They were like, great, I trust you implicitly. No, people weren't stupid. We're not the only smart generation to have ever lived. But we are, I think, maybe one of the more suspicious generations to have ever lived. Here's a couple of reasons why that I've been thinking about. First, uh, there's the rise of like modernity and even like empirical kind of thinking. And so like 17, 1800s, people started introducing this idea that maybe we should uh, may have like rational arguments for things. Uh, the scientific method was introduced. And so now we treat everything as if it's a hypothesis. Someone tells you something and you're like, well, maybe I'll sort of test it and weigh it and then we'll see if it's true or not. So uh, that happens, that game Steam as like full modernity kind of comes to uh, fruition. And then now in the past, you know, I don't know how long, uh, we've sort of started into post-modernity, which is defined a lot by like deconstructionism, which is basically just this idea that we should question, we should take apart, we should deconstruct everything to sort of see its base parts to see whether or not it's good or whether or not it's true. Combine that with like recent social movements where we're questioning all different types of authority and we're saying like, I'm not sure if we can trust that person anymore and we definitely can't trust that guy anymore, we can't trust that guy anymore. And basically we end up in this society now that is defined by mistrust. And now in this season of life, 
we are taking this like that whole distrust, that suspicion one step further to say, now we can't even trust the things that we thought we could count on. You know, you used to could trust that if you went to the grocery store and you had enough money to pay for something, you were able to get the goods that you needed, even like essential goods like toilet paper and milk and eggs. Not anymore. You used to could trust that if you worked really hard at your job and did what you were supposed to and didn't ruffle any feathers, that you could keep that job and that you basically had control over it. Not anymore. That's gone too. You used to could trust that you could see your loved ones face-to-face on a semi-regular basis. You used to could trust that you had freedom to sort of move about and do whatever you wanted to do and gather with the people that you wanted to gather with. Not anymore. You used to could trust that you could control your own social calendar. You could control your own comings and goings. And that is just not the case right now. And it really makes me ask the question, what can we trust? You used to be able to trust so much, but now... It feels like we can't trust anything. It actually fits in really well with our story, asking that question, because uh, today we're talking about a guy named Thomas. Now, uh, just as a little background to the story, there was a guy named Jesus. If you haven't heard of him, I highly recommend checking into him. And there's a good book about him. It's called The Bible. And uh, specifically, if you want to read through John chapter 1 through 19, that's where we've been the past uh, year or so, and get all caught up, that would be a phenomenal use of your quarantine time, whether you've read it before or not. Uh, But basically, uh, Jesus was the Son of God, and he came to earth, he lived, he died for the sins of humanity, and then he rose again, and that's where we're at right now. So he showed up to some disciples, if you were around last week in the digital living room, then you saw that. He showed up to some disciples, but Thomas was actually not a part of that group. Now, Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap, which I don't really appreciate. He seems like he could have been a nice guy. But all we ever know about Thomas now is doubting Thomas from this very story that we're in. Nobody even recognizes that he had like this Aragorn type moment back in John chapter 11. Now, uh, I do recognize in this moment that's a reference that only the most hyper nerdy recesses of the internet will even be able to understand. Redditors will be tracking it for years. Who knows what's going to happen, right? Except nobody really cares. But basically, uh, there's this moment I'll explain for the rest of you normies, if you will. So basically, there's this moment where uh, Jesus is like, I should go to Judea. And all the other disciples are like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. They tried to kill you the last time that you were there. And uh, also parallel to that, but thousands of years later. There's a moment in Lord of the Rings where Aragorn is fighting for, you know, good and righteousness and everything like that. Legolas is talking to him and he's like, hey, don't go to that battle. All those guys are going to die. And Legolas, mysteriously with the frog in his throat that they didn't edit out later, says, I will die as one of them, right? Like if you've ever heard that line, it's ringing in your ears right now because it's exactly how he says it. So, uh, rewind all the way back to Thomas's day. Thomas is standing there. All the other disciples are like, no, 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 Jesus, don't go to Judea. You're going to die there. It's not going to be good. And Thomas steps up. He's the only one who steps up and he says, if he's going to Judea, he says, let us go with him. We will die with him. Right? Maybe, I don't know, he does the Aragorn voice or not. That's uh, up to your own sort of lens that you're reading the Bible with. Uh, in my mind, that's how it always happens. 
But nobody refers to him as Hero Thomas. Nobody refers to him as Aragorn Thomas, which I think is what I'm going to start using. Everybody looks at him as the doubter. From this one specific moment, from this one time when he asked this question of Jesus. Now, uh, what's really interesting about this is that I don't think anywhere in our passage today that you can read into it and see that Thomas was weak. Thomas was not like, you know, some sort of feeble person. And in fact, John had already portrayed him as being maybe the most heroic of the disciples. And yet, uh, we often read this story and we think like, oh, he was scared, he was weak, he didn't know what to do, he was questioning all these things. And because of that, he was wrong. He was the doubting Thomas. I think that's wrong. So our story today happens a week after, uh, or actually... Uh, Thomas shows up to the disciples after they've met with Jesus, and he says, uh, what happened? And they're like, we saw Jesus. He was real. Thomas says to them, I'm not going to buy it unless I can actually touch the wounds. He's like, you may have had somebody that you saw that you thought was Jesus. Uh, maybe you guys all had some sort of collective strange experience, right? Uh, which is always like this weird argument that people have about the historical accuracy of Jesus. They're like, maybe it was a collective hallucination by hundreds and hundreds of people. Which is always just so, so baffling to me. I mean, even the evidence that's happening right here in this story is showing you like multiple avenues of different times and places where people saw Jesus after he had died. And then all of these people went out and did totally radically different things. Some of them wrote parts of the New Testament. Uh, some of them we can sort of trace their historicity in the churches that they planted throughout the known world. It spread like rapid fire. All of this, Thomas is sort of bringing that same sort of uh, complaint, that same sort of idea like, I don't know what you guys saw or think you saw, but I'm not going to believe it until I actually put my fingers in the holes where the nails were in his skin. So about a week later, Thomas is hanging out with the disciples again, and Jesus shows up. And Jesus walks in, and uh, he said, hey, Thomas, you know, Jesus, he kind of, he knows what Thomas had said before, right? So he walks in, he says, hey, Thomas, I'm here. Uh, did you mention something about wanting to maybe put your your hand or your finger in the nail hole? Do you want do you want to give that a shot? Right? No, I don't think Jesus was like all snarky like that about it, and I definitely don't think he was like a, a third grader with like a gooey scar or something like that. But instead, he actually like goes up, and this is like the magic and beauty of Jesus. He goes up humbly. And though he is king of the universe, walks up to Thomas and says, hey, if this is what you need, I can give it to you. If you need to actually put your finger in the nail holes, if you need to actually touch the scars, if that's what you're going to need, if that's what it's going to take for you to believe, I can oblige you in that. And he says it's for this reason. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. See, he doesn't want to leave Thomas in this place where he is constantly in disbelief, but he actually wants to sort of free him up to be able to believe, which is why I think we see here that Jesus is actually being very like patient, kind, and compassionate with Thomas. He doesn't say, hey, you should know by now that you can trust me. He doesn't say, hey, you should read your Bible a little bit more and you would know this was going to happen. He doesn't say any of that. He just says to Thomas, hey, I'm here and I want you to believe. I want you to be able to believe. Do what you need to do. I've noticed lately uh, in a lot of my circles, there are people who are checking out Jesus. They're really interested. Maybe they can uh, say, hey, I, I believe this whole Jesus story and say, hey, I think it would be good to my life for my life. But I just, 
I don't even know if I'm there yet. Like, I'm just not ready to sort of like make that final leap. And, you know, I still have all these questions about things the church has done or things Christians do or whatever, all these millions of things. I have all of these reservations. And to to those people, I want to say, if that's you right now, like if you're like sort of teasing and testing out this whole Christianity thing, Jesus is patient. He's compassionate in that. He's not frustrated by you having questions. Like Jesus is someone that you can actually bring your questions to and he's going to respond in kindness and help you along the way, help you to even believe. It actually reminds me uh, right now, Evie is kind of like beginning the very first steps of learning her letters. And so, you know, we've been throwing out a bunch of different letters and stuff like that. And she's trying to scribble different things out. The other day, she walks up to me with a piece of paper and on the piece of paper are the letters H. U and P. That's it. Just H U P. And I nearly about broke down in tears because I thought it was amazing. And she looked at me and without like, you know, any sort of self-consciousness at all, she says, look, I wrote the word Heffalump, which if you don't know, is from like a Winnie the Pooh acid trip dream kind of sequence uh, from way back in the day. But she says, hey, look, dad, I wrote the word Heffalump. Now, the letters H U and P, I know don't actually say Heffalump. But did I like uh, turn to her and be like, no, you dummy, that's not what that says. No, I am frustrated by you and I can't believe that you don't know how to do this yet. No, I didn't do any of that. In fact, I was like extremely emotional thinking like, look at her little brain being formed as she's figuring this whole out. And I was stoked and already putting a down payment on Harvard or Yale or something because those three letters are actually in the word heffalump, which is an incredibly difficult word to spell. Let's be honest. I think Jesus actually looks at us the exact same way. He is happy for any bit of progress that we're making. He is proud of us. He is welcoming us along the trail of belief. So that means uh, whether you're a believer or whether you're still testing out this whole Christianity thing, Jesus does not despise your questions. He does not despise you for your questions. He doesn't hold them against you. And I also want to say this too. Uh, I don't believe that, you know, Christianity is this sort of like blind leap of faith off into the unknown. I believe that it can stand up to rational questioning. I believe that there are explanations. Now, there are things that we don't know and things that we may never know. But I think at the same time, uh, it all can and does actually make sense. Which means then that maybe if Jesus is not fearing our questions, maybe we shouldn't fear them so much either. Maybe we should freely be able to bring them to him and place them before him and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I have questions. I have reservations about all of this. Thomas responds by saying basically that I don't need to touch all the scars. He actually just says, my God and my Lord. He doesn't even need to go through his little uh, you know, hypothesis for Jesus. Jesus responds by saying this. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those. That actually follows that same pattern of like Beatitudes uh, back in Matthew chapter 5, like the Sermon on the Mount. It's astounding here, uh, if you really, really think about it. He's saying something directly to Thomas, but I think it's maybe even more so for you and me. Because who are those people who have believed in Jesus but have not yet actually seen him, who didn't even have the opportunity like Thomas to put our fingers in the nail holes. That's you and I. 
we are blessed as a result of our being able to believe and not see, like actually being able to follow Jesus. Then John jumps in and actually says, hey, this is why I wrote this book. This is why I uh, produced this entire piece of literature so that you guys might believe. He says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What I see from this passage is that it's okay to have questions. That's all right. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to bring those. Jesus is compassionate and kind with us. But the end goal is not for us to live in those questions. It's not to live in a constant state of deconstruction. It's not to live in a constant state of just like uh, raging against all the things that we don't know and all the things that, you know, we may have issues with. But the next step, the sort of goal of those questions is actually to believe. And in that believing is where we find life. See, it's not our our questions that sort of can provide the life that Jesus is offering. It's only in actually taking this entire story that John and three others recorded for us in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. It's in taking that story of Jesus that's present there and present throughout the entire Bible, taking it and say, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to live here on earth. He lived as man. He was man enough to be able to take on all of our burdens, but he was God enough to be able to put them to death once and for all. He was man enough to be able to take on the punishment for sin that we so righteously deserved, but he was God enough to be able to exchange that punishment for his gift of eternal life. And he did that on the cross. That by uh, taking our sin, death, and shame to the cross, he was able to put it to death. He was able to pay the final price for it so that we might in turn have life. That's what he's calling us to believe. That's that's the heart of this entire thing. It's just this uh, believing in this good and precious gift that he has given us, that he has offered to us eternal life if we but believe in his name, if we believe that he is who he says he is. And in that believing, there is life. I want to sort of apply this in in two ways. One, if you're one of those people that are still sort of wrestling with this whole Christianity thing, still trying to tease it out, bring those questions to God. Take them to God. Ask Jesus. Actually, spend time in prayer. Maybe you've read enough books. Maybe you've read enough articles or watched enough YouTube videos, whatever it is. Maybe you've asked enough questions of the people around you. Now it's time to actually ask Jesus those questions. Bring those to him in prayer. Be honest. You don't have to have any magic words or anything, you know, any sort of secret language or anything like that. You can come honestly and simply in a time when you are alone and Bring to God those questions, and my hope is that you will believe and in so doing find life. If you have any questions about any of that, if you want somebody to talk through it with, uh, you can reach out to anybody at the Dwell uh, leadership. So uh, hit our social media. You can message us or email, website, any of that stuff. We would love nothing more than to be able to talk to you about that. 
And then secondly, for the rest of us, especially if you're already a follower of Jesus, remember that your life is never going to be found in all of those things that you used to trust, right? Like your life is not defined by your job or uh, your ability to provide for yourself or your ability to control your environment, your ability to choose your own destiny. That's not where life is. Simply put, all too often we like try to stock our life into all these other things that we feel like we have power over when we're missing out on the fact that life only ever comes from Jesus. That believing and actually trusting in the one trustworthy thing in all of the universe, which is the God who created that universe, that is the only way to find life. I believe in God and I believe in you guys that you have the power to do that, to to see that life through the, the grace of Jesus Christ, to actually be able to believe in that life and receive it and take it into yourself. I love you guys. We want to be here to help you in any way that we possibly can. Do not hesitate to reach out. And uh, I'll see you next week for a very, very special Easter celebration. Be on the lookout. We are taking this whole thing to the next level, and I can't wait to share it with you. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.